0: One will be appointed to you. Can Ch- Travis, will you hand that out? This is Travis. If you guys don't know him. You should. He's an awesome guy. On fire for Jesus. Um, I want you guys to have a writing utensil because I believe that the message is not for God, <laughs> it's for you, <laughs> uh, and that there should be something that you take away from today. Uh, and it's good to write it down so that later in the week you can, um, later in the week you can refer to it when you go bathroom or when you're waiting for a phone call or whatever. On the back of your stepping up, it's blank. So if you run out of room, which I pray you do, on the Bulletin, uh, the sermon notes. You can write on the back of your insert, stepping up. Just. Justice. So, how many of you, raise your hand if you have personal space. You have a little bubble, a little personal space. Don't. <laughs> Dr. Jeff. Dr. Jeff is like that. When we do our hugs, handshakes, and high fives, that's recognizing the different comfort levels people have hugging. Handshake, like over thank you, you know? Um so, so only one of us has personal space, huh? You're like Yeah. <laughs> it depends on who you're with, okay? So in in a crowd of people, you just some stranger coming up and put their arm around you. That's uh you know, that's just a little too close, all right? Um, so, so what about, what is it about you? Think, I want you to think about the things you complain about to other people that you, you love. Um, that, that you're like, man, I hate it that this person does that. And I hate it that this person is like that. And it's, it's about you. So I want you to think about the things you complain about, about how other people are with you or around you. And and so in thinking about that, some of those some of the things you might be thinking of is um, this person lied to me like they didn't have to. It was just a a stupid, trivial matter. They didn't have to lie. It didn't matter. But they lied to me anyways. And that really bothered me that they lied to me. Um, For me, something that really bothers me is when people gossip around me. Uh, I understand the need to be able to talk about someone in a situation um, to help get a little, a different perspective on it or whatever. But if you're just talking to whoever's going to listen, I shut that door right away. Uh, uh, That's, so I'm not really in the know with the latest juicy stuff. uh, And that's by my choice. Uh, So that's something inside of me. I don't like to gossip when I have issues with somebody. um, I'll talk to my pastor. I'll talk to a close friend and try to like work it out so that I can work it out with that person, not to spread and get people on my side. So maybe that's something that you guys deal with too. It's like, why did they lie to me? Why, why do they always got to gossip and talk crap about people? Sorry, I said the C word. Um, <laughs> you know, is, is there anything else that stands out? It's like that really bothers you with other people do with you that you, you complain about to someone else. Someone who's really protective and jealous. Go ahead. Profanity. So people swearing around me. Like they, they feel like there's nothing wrong with it. So here's the deal. That's part of who you are. Like you got this personal space that you don't want somebody who's all hot and sweaty to come and give you this big bear hug. You know? Um, you don't want somebody who's got a, a, a forked tongue Coming and and whispering things about other people. And trying to get you to pick sides. You don't like people. You, you're not like that. So you don't want people around you like that. You try to be honest in everything you do. And so that's why it bothers you. About lying. And. This is getting down to. This is who you are. We're getting down to the definition of sin. See. Sin is anything that comes against who God is. Say who. It comes against who God is, the nature of God. So we have sin is thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, take the Lord's name in vain, etc., etc. That's not, those rules come out of the character of God. Those rules are based on his nature. You have rules that say, listen, if you want to talk to me and get up close to my face, you better have a breath mint and two. You better be good friends with me. You know, if if you want to talk about somebody else, it better not be gossip. It better be that because our relationship is so close, you're looking for a different perspective and how you can reconcile with that person. Because that's this is my rule. If you want to be with me, if you want to hang with me. This is how you got to be. And so we list these rules. And that is what sin is. It's the it's anything that goes against the nature of God. You guys with me? Yes, so, um, so control and manipulation—that ex- that goes against the nature of God. He alone is sovereign, and we're trying to take God's place and control other people. Okay, I'm just getting the basics here. God is a giver. Say giver. Um, so that's why stealing is wrong. You guys with me? Okay, that's why stealing is a sin. It goes against who he is. And if you want to hang with God, you got to be like God. All right, I'm glad we got that down. So, I don't know. I was probably third or fourth grade, and I didn't do my homework. Um, No, this wasn't a one-time occurrence. This was all the time. I didn't do my homework. Um, And so, the teacher, she said, hey, we're going to have a party, For everyone, she's trying to motivate me. It's kind of like talking to the crowd, but I'm talking to you. Um, Trying to motivate everybody. We're going to have a party if everyone brings their homework in, you know, tomorrow. Friday, we're going to have a big party. Well, somebody didn't bring their homework in. One One person did not bring their homework in. Out of like 30, whatever, 20, 30. And that was me. I know, um, I got better when I was in college. Um, so here's the deal. The party was shot. There was no party because one person didn't bring their homework in. Is that fair? I did not get beat up. I don't think I did. I don't remember it. Um, was that fair? Yes, it was fair, Burdette says. Was it, did it, does, that, does that not sit well with you? Does that like feel wrong that everybody got punished because one person? Everyone bring it in. Okay, so we realize it's fair. But is it just? What are you talking about, Joel? Fair, just, I thought they were the same. They're not. Fair is when it's equal for everyone. That's what our justice system is about, that the punishment should fit the crime. Is you with me? It's not chop off people's hands no matter what sin they committed or what crime they committed. So if it's fair for one, it's fair for all. If I, gotta, if I bring gum in for myself or my friend, I have to bring grunt gum for the whole class. You guys with me? That's fairness. God is a just God. Say just. Fairness is something that we're trying, that we're teaching our kids. Uh, It's one of the pillars. It's one of the the columns of character. We go in and teach character counts. And we talk about responsibility, respect, being trustworthy, caring for others. And then they throw this one in that's fairness. And Pastor and I really, really struggled with that. Because we don't want kids to learn fairness. Because life is not fair. We want them to learn justice. What is justice? And so we we took these kids went for a loop because we're trying to avoid the word fair, although the banner says fair. Um, (laughs) Because fairness is really not how it is. We want to say that it's equal for everybody. But yet that's not what our whole system works on. Our economic system doesn't work on fairness You see, pride and ego isn't that I'm content to have a car or a house or clothes. It's that I have to have a better car than them. I have to have a better house. I have to have better clothes than them. And that is what what we market to our kids. So it's not that everyone is equal. It's that one is better than the other. That's what we say. And there's this double standard. Why? Because God is not the foundation. Say moral relativity. Raise your hand if you know what that means. Oh, only one of us? All right. All right. That's okay. This is not condemning. Moral relativity. Let's break it down word by the word. Moral, right and wrong. Relativity is what's relative, what is related to you, specifically to the situation or to the person. So you guys ever heard of situational ethics? That... What you believe is the right decision changes depending on the situation you're in, okay? This is not godly. This is not biblical, all right? But that is what our culture is being permeated with, that depending on the situation, right and wrong is different, okay? Um, Moral relativity is, you've heard it phrased this way, what's true for me is true for me, what's true for you is true for you, okay? Okay? This breaks down. Because what if my truth says your truth is a lie? Am I still right? To me, I'm right. To them, what do they do with that? So you live in your own little bubble. You define your own right and wrong. You define your own rules and how you're going to live in life. And this is why we end up having somebody who walks into a movie theater and shoots up 71 people. So... Moral relativity says, I determine right and wrong for me, and you determine right and wrong for you. That There is no, say, absolute. There is no absolute truth. And absolute truth is something that is universal. It is wrong to rape the elderly and, the ch- and children. That's something that is almost universal across the world. People would say, I agree with that. You guys with me? Okay. That is a universal truth. It changes not. No matter what the situation, no matter how emotional the situation, the truth is the truth. That is biblical. That is godly. So. Dealing with this situational thing. We like to you guys know what's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. That's right. So in my short few years of 29, I have seen that we like to hold on to the treat others the way you want to be treated when it comes down to how we've been mistreated and when we want a do-over. But we discard that when it comes to how we should treat someone who's wronged us. Do I need to say that again? When it comes down, when it comes down to it, we want that. Treat others the way that you that that you want to be treated when we're wronged, When we want a do over, it's like treat us the way we want to. we, We hold on to that and we say, yeah, that's that's right. You know, give me a chance. But when someone else wrongs us. When someone else is looking for a do over, we're not, you know, you had your chance. You broke that trust. So there's this double standard. Jesus says, if you treat them that way all the time, you're going to be walking just like God. You treat them the way you wish to be treated, even if it hurts you. So I'm going to move on. What about our justice, the justice of man? We try to say fairness and justice. It gets all blurry and confused, which is perfectly understandable because we take God out of it. And so the best thing that we can think of is when we take God out of it, we have to define right and wrong. Uh, We have to, for ourselves, we have to figure it out. And we, I don't know, most of the time it comes down to, if 51% of the population does it, then that's right. That's acceptable. That is what your children are learning in school. So. How we, how we handle right and wrong and people who, Have done wrong. We end up becoming labeled for life. You see once a sex offender. Always a sex offender. Once someone's a liar. They're always going to be a liar. Once a thief always a thief. Once a killer always a killer. That's our justice system. Sexual offenders cannot be rehabilitated. Is what we continually hear in the news. My Jesus says something different. So people don't like the idea that someone can be forgiven or acquitted. And have the opportunity to go out and commit more crimes. Does that make sense? But that's exactly what God does with us. Many people have a hard time approving of God extending Salvation and forgiveness to murderers, serial killers and rapists. But. But that forgiveness is available because of what Jesus did for us, not because of what we can do to make things right. Let's look at first Corinthians. One, 23 and through 25, it's on the wall here. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God that Christ makes everything right, that Christ has redeemed it. This foolish plan of God. That people don't pay the price for their sins, but Jesus did, is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Another translation says that the wisdom of God is foolishness to man and the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. as pastor started off how can we a finite being limited in our knowledge and perception and understanding really define an infinite being that's why it seems foolish we don't understand it let's go to isaiah 55 you see a lot of a lot of christians that i've come across don't readily say it but there's something that's that's under under the surface, that they feel like in the Old Testament there's a God of wrath, and the New Testament is a God of love. I mean, could you guys understand that? Maybe you don't believe that. Do you understand how that perception is? Because you see, God in Jericho says, Go in, kill every man, woman, child, and beast, leave nothing alive. That's his judgment on those people. Over and over, Israelites kept taking over these cities to. Um, To get to the promised land to inherit the promised land that god had for them So a lot of people will look at that and they'll say man There's a god of wrath in the old testament a god of love in the new testament that is true There's a god of love in the old testament and a god of wrath in the new testament as well And in fact, his wrath is seen the greatest in the new testament God is the same yesterday today and forever. He does not change And the same god in the old testament is the same god in the new testament There's going to be quite a few Old Testament things here that I'm going to be bringing the scriptures to show you that it's not a God of wrath in the New Testament, that everything he does is motivated by love. But he is a just God, say just. So Isaiah 55, God says, my thoughts are nothing like, you know what, let's read this together. Here we go. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Something I deal with in in talking about the justice of God, I kind of teased the teenagers on Tuesday night with this. If there is a just and all-powerful God, why does he allow evil in the world? Why is there evil? Why are these bad things happening? See, what is evil? Anybody? What is evil? Anything against God's will, anything against who God is, evil, sin, sin. Anything against who he is. All right? So, what is evil? Anything that comes against God. So, what is evil? Evil is murder, rape, stealing, lying, cheating. You guys with me? Yes? This is evil. This is what we see. This person, 24 years old, who goes into the movie theater. And just callously, cold, going around and just pulling the trigger. You guys are aware of this, right? Okay. Um, this happened in Colorado, Aurora. I don't know what day, though. Thursday? Midnight showing Thursday. Um, so, how do we, ta- How what do we do with this? Why doesn't God, and his all-powerful, I dealt with a young adult uh, quite a few years ago who was molested as a child. And it's like, God, how can you, being a God of love and all-powerful, why didn't you stop this? If you love me so much, why didn't you take care of me? Why all this evil? Where is the justice of God and all this wrong stuff and the evil that's happening? So let me ask you, where where do you want God to deal with the evil? Do you want him to deal with all of it or just some of it? You can't pick and choose. You see, because where does evil... Where does it happen? Do you want him to stop? Uh, evil happens at the, the murder level, the lying level, the thinking level. So, where do you want him to stop it? Because here's the deal you and I would be eliminated because we think evil thoughts. But thanks be to God that he poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ, that he saw it just to pour out his wrath on the one who is innocent, who, st- who stood in our place. See, there was a day of reckoning where all these things and all these evil acts, that it, there was a day of reckoning and there will be a day of reckoning. Let's look at this in Colossians chapter 1, 19 and 20. Let's read it together. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. See, he was pleased to live in Christ and through him to reconcile, to make right what was wrong through Christ's blood on the cross. That's what he did. There was a day of reckoning where he dealt with evil. And there will be. Let's look at Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Go ahead, read it. For this reason also, God highly exalted him, him as Christ, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether or not you want to acknowledge that today, you will. You will see God's infinite justice come the end of time. There will be a day of reckoning. And though it may seem mysterious or a complete farce to you right now, you will see who he truly is and you will be guilty or you will be proven innocent based on your confession of faith in Jesus Christ today. So here's four points about the justice of God. You can write this down. Point number one. And unfortunately it's not going to be on the screen unless you want to type it on the fly, whatever. Um, Point number one, God gives us choice. There would be no need to worry about right and wrong if God just programmed us like little rob- robots to do what he wants us to do. But in his justice, he gives us choice. Let's look at Deuteronomy 30. Verse 19 and 20. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse So choose, say choose, so choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. I set before you, it seems pretty obvious, black and white. Don't make any gray areas. I'm not. Life and death. What's it going to be? This is the justice of God. Point number two. Any questions about that? Okay. Point number two. In spite of our choices... in spite of our choices god his god's mercy is refreshed every morning god's mercy is refreshed every morning yes yes and that's that's exactly what our our society and our culture Wants to say, our culture wants to say, no, he can't be innocent. He can't let him walk. No, don't give them another chance. His mercies are new every morning. You guys know where that's at? Lamentations chapter three, 22 and 23, the faithful love. You know what? Let's read this because this is good for you guys to get in your heart. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Something I love about my wife. She says it's always morning somewhere. Each moment, his mercies are fresh. Each moment, his mercies are fresh. So in spite of our choices his mercies are fresh every morning every moment and that's because of his love love and justice go hand in hand point number 3 through Christ comma <laughs> through Christ God made and emphasize that if you want to bold it, capitalize, italicize, underline all three, five, whatever you want to do. Okay? God made a way for us to be righteous. This is the justice of God that seems foolish to man. He gives us a choice. In spite of our choices, He still has mercy. And though we deserve death, and though we deserve punishment, In his wrath, he remembers mercy. And he pours it out on Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. The only sacrifice. Romans 3.22. Let's read this. We are made right with God by placing our faith In Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are or what we have done. Let's read that again. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are or what we have done. God made a way. See, he made a way, he found a way to pardon us. Man, our justice system would be totally messed up if we implemented that. Find a way to clear the guilty. Do you even know that God is fighting for you? God is fighting for you. He's not fighting against you. You may feel like you're fighting against him. I don't know. But he is fighting for you. His desire for you is greater than you could ever desire him. He's willing to trade it all. Give all of creation for you. In your wickedness. When your thoughts are evil. When you say, screw you, God, I'm going to do what I want to do. He still loves us. His love knows no bounds. And this is what is, it baffles us. Let's look at Deuteronomy. God is fighting you. Deuteronomy thirty-two, thirty-six. For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free, the Lord will vindicate his people. He is fighting For us. This is Deuteronomy, Old Testament, the God of wrath. No, the God of love. He fights our battles for us. If we'll step out of the way and let him do it. This is the justice of God. He makes a way for us to be righteous. Righteous is right standing with God. So that we're no longer enemies of God. So let's get to point number four. God empowers us, God empowers us to live just and mercifully. Micah 6 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Because of what Christ has done for us, he has freed us from the penalty of sin, which is death. Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. He has freed us from the penalty of death. He has freed us from the power of sin. And we are empowered to live just and mercifully, to, to love justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with our God, because it's not about me, it's all about Him. It's not about me living up to the standard, living up to all the laws that He has, but He has made me right. He's taken the, the ugly, diseased, nasty smelling person. That wants to cuddle up with you and made them beautiful, smelling pres- pleasantly, whatever. This is my story. I know this is your story. That who you were, God has made new. He takes us from being sinners, say sinners, takes us from being sinners to saints. This is who we were. Now, this is who we are. This is the justice of God, not your mental ascent, not your goodness. And all of a sudden you figured it out and it's like, duh, I know how to live life now. No, this is the goodness of God, the justice of God, that this is who I was. But now because of my faith in Christ, I am a new creation. I am pure and holy, blameless in the sight of God because of Jesus. And him alone. And so now you are a saint. You are not a sinner saved by grace. That is a former title. That is what you used to be. We need to stop holding on to that. Because that is not how God sees you. You are a saint that chooses to sin. You are no longer bound to sin. The power of sin has lost its hold on you because of Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross. You are free from the sin and you have a choice now to choose life or choose death, to choose God or to choose sin and your own selfishness. You are a saint. You are not a sinner saved by grace. I'll get into that in another message. I was going to preach that today. But I'm not. So we're going to wrap up with the importance of the justice of God. Let's look at Ezekiel 36. Another Old Testament passage. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake. O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name which you have profaned among the nations where you went. Pause. It is not for your sake. Jesus did not die so that we could be free. He died so that we could have relationship with God. And in that relationship we have freedom. It's not some self-help thing. It's a relationship thing. So, <laughs> even though You profaned my name among the nations. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Let's take this. This is God's chosen people who were like, the God who? And they went about living their life ignorant of God. Not ignorant. Willfully ignoring him. It's, uh, something my dad talks about. The difference between ignorance and stupidity. All right? Ignorance is I didn't know. Stupid was I knew and I still did it. Okay? <laughs> um, so, having been redeemed. Having been made pure. We choose to sin. We publicly put Christ to shame, nailing him to the cross again. When we go forth from this place, knowing the goodness of God, the complete forgiveness of God, and we sin again. We choose to sin. We profane his name. And people say, you're a Christian? But God says, I will vindicate. I will show up. And I will prove myself holy among you in their sight that despite what we do, he is just he is good and he is going to show himself holy. And if we respond. We are chosen, we are included in those whom he has called, those whom he purifies and makes right. We either are vessels of honor or dishonor. So say it's not about me. It's always about God. You want to write that down? That'd be good. It's not about me. It's always about God. The justice of God is not about me. It's always about him. Oh, yes, you have a part to play. The Bible says that God is just, but it is his character that defines what being just really is. God does not conform to some outside criteria. Let me, let me, let's unravel that. God defines what is just by his character. He is the source of justice. He defines it. We don't define justice. He defines it. Based on who he is, say who he is. Okay? He does not conform to some outside criteria where there is a sense of morality of what is right and wrong and God adheres to that. No. You guys, this is how we base whether or not somebody is a criminal or somebody is psychotic. That we have a list of things, this is what. Normalcy is this is what is morally right and wrong. And people who conform to that are good people, sane people. People who don't. They're evil. They're insane. They're bad people. Okay, we're held to something outside of ourselves that says this is right and wrong. God is right and wrong. You guys with me? Science does not prove that the Bible is right. Science confirms that the Bible is right. You guys with me? Because if science proves that the Bible is right, then that means science is elevated above the word of God. Science is more powerful and more practical and and is more valid than the word of God. Science does does not prove that the Bible is reliable. It confirms that the Bible is reliable. You guys with me? There's a difference, a huge difference. One that is actually your soul is in the balance. Difference. It's not about us. It's always about God and who he is, what he says, justice and morality is. So let's look at Jeremiah 12. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. It's always about him. He is watching over it. He will perform it. He will do what he promised to do. He is not a man that he would lie. It's always about him. Isaiah 45, 9. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? Come on, am I the only one that said, God, what are you doing? No? Raise your hand if you've ever, like, even gotten close to that. God, you call this just, you call this love? I don't understand why, why would we bury a girl on on Wednesday who's only 37 years old and leaving a teenager behind? Single mom. God, where is the justice in this? It's not about you. It's always about him. I don't want to hold the gavel in my hand. See, God is, and this is part of another attribute of God, and we're not going to, we'll get into that in another message, but God is the one who understands all choices. We don't understand every choice. He sees how far-reaching the consequences of this choice go. We don't. And in his infinite wisdom, and everything he sees the big picture, he tells us our life is a vapor. You're not promised tomorrow. Though we don't think it's very fair that somebody should die, I don't know that anybody is ever happy that someone else died that didn't, wasn't evil, didn't deserve death. A, a loved one. I don't think anyone's ever happy that that person finally passed away. Unless, unless we've embraced the truth of God's word. And we know that this is not the end, but only the beginning of bliss for them. But even in that, there is sorrow in our heart. And there's that desire, could we just have one more day? But God and his justice. he saw fit. So here's the last scripture. Samuel, second Samuel 24. Notice all the Old Testament references. Second Samuel 24, 10 through 14. What happened here was David, he took a census of the people and God's like, don't do this. David's like, I'm doing it anyway. And so now afterwards, David's heart troubled him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. Raise your hand if you've done something you knew you shouldn't have done, and you're broken before God. Please, everybody, raise your hand. And you know that, God, you are just in your judgment. I am guilty, guilty, guilty. And whatever you say, you are just in it. You are right in whatever sentence you give me. I am guilty. And this is where David's at. So when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, go and speak to David. Thus, thus, the Lord says, I am offering you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, which I will do to you. It's Kind of like the genie in a bottle thing, but it's not three wishes. It's three consequences. Here's the deal. God says, you've done something. You went on your own wisdom, on your own counsel, and I'm going to give you three things, three three consequences. You be the judge. You pick it. So Gad came to David and told him, and said to him, oh, th- by the way, sorry, pause. That's, that reminds me of like what we do with our kids. My dad even did it to me. Okay, you be the parent. How am I supposed to answer this? How am I supposed to respond to this decision you did? You willfully did something you knew was wrong, Joel. <laughs> do you guys ever do that to your kids? Where it's like, okay, you know what? You be the parent. You decide what should your punishment be. Do you want to be grounded from this? Do you want to be spanked? Do you want to whatever? And this is what God's saying. David, you have shall seven years of famine come to you in your land, or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you, or shall there be three days pestilence in your land? Now, consider and see what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand. Of man. He's saying, I'm not going to hold that gavel. He's saying, you know what, God? No. I trust your mercy. In your wrath, remember mercy. I trust your justice. So, you know what, God? I'm not going to pick. I put it back on you. Don't let me fall into the hands of my enemies. Whatever you decide. Is there the next verse? That's it? Okay. The rest of it is that God had pestilence come over the whole land for the length of time that he said that it would be um, three days. So you could have seven days of famine. He'd <laughs> be pursued and hunted down like a dog uh, by your enemies or three days of pestilence. And God in his mercy chose the the easiest one or whatever, the three, three days of pestilence. That, Ironically, we come back around to one man's action affecting everybody else. David's one choice affected everyone else. So, the point that, not the point, I'm not trying to prove a point. Where we're we're wanting to head here is allowing God to be just in your life. Seeing the justice of God in your life. And um, I'm going to read this this uh, poem, essay. It's actually a devotional from Charles Spurgeon. Uh, it's, it's old, so it's got the uh, like King James feel, but it's really poetic. I think you guys will like this. It's called, Why Go I Mourning, Sadness Mourning. Canst thou answer this, believer? Canst thou find any reason... Why thou art so often mourning instead of rejoicing? Why yield to gloomy anticipations? Who told thee that the night would never end in day? Who told thee that the sea of circumstances would ebb out till there should be nothing left but long leagues of the mud of horrible poverty? Who told thee that the winter of thy discontent would proceed from frost to frost, from snow and ice and hail to deeper snow and yet more heavy tempest of despair? Knowest thou not that day follows night, that flood comes after ebb, that spring and summer succeed winter? Hope thou then, hope thou ever, for God fails thee not." Dost thou not know that thy God loves thee in the midst of all this? Mountains, when in darkness hidden, are as real as in day, and God's love is as true to thee now as as it was in the brightest moments. No father chastens always. Thy Lord hates the rod as much as thou dost. He only cares to use it for that reason which should make thee willing to receive it. Namely, that it works thy lasting good. Thou shalt yet climb Jacob's ladder with the angels and behold him who sits at the top of it, thy covenant God. Thou shalt yet amidst the splendors of eternity forget the trials of time or only remember them to bless the God who led thee through them and wrought thy lasting good by them. Come, sing in the midst of tribulation. Rejoice even while passing through the furnace. Make the wilderness to blossom like the rose. Cause the desert to ring with thine exulting joys. For these light afflictions will soon be over. And then forever with the Lord, thy bliss shall never wane. Pastor.
1: I hope you have a greater understanding of the justice of God. Joel said, though we may be 100% guilty, 1 John 5 is one of my favorite four, verse 20, sorry, is one of my favorite verses. It talks about God is love, but then it goes on and talks about because God is perfect, He has perfect love. There's no punishment and no fear of punishment with perfect love. In our law system, when you break the law, there's a fear, isn't there? There's a fear because you know that punishment is, is, is coming. It's, it's, it's on the horizon. That you're going to get somehow what you deserved. And yet with God, that's not what happens. We don't get what we deserve. That's called mercy. Amen? That's called mercy. So though we're 100% guilty, we end up 100% salvaged. How many of you have been salvaged? You've been salvaged. You know what that was? You were junk to somebody else, but you were priceless to God. You were trash. Your life was trash, but somebody saw purpose and value and saw something good in you. And that's God who says, I'm not done with you yet. That's why his mercies are new every morning, because he says, you get another do over. Yes, another one. Aren't I going to run out of do overs, God? And he says, not a chance. Guess why? Because he's that great. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to give up this morning. There's a couple things that, that hinder us really about being able to receive the justice of God and in, to endure in the middle of it. If you remember to the, seven, the letters to the seven churches, the last book of the Bible, it says, to him who endures. Endurance is a major principle of the Christian faith because there's all kinds of stuff that, that's going to come at you that makes you want to just say, cash it in and say, no way. Here it is. It's called, how many of you have heard, the victim mentality? You know what the victim mentality is? Means that somebody's done something to you that you didn't deserve. And then you're looking to blame somebody for it. And we can live with the victim mentality where we never really see the justice of God. We feel like life wasn't fair. And we buy into a mindset. And we buy into a lifestyle. And that is that I'm a victim. That something bad. Oh, if you only knew... You have no idea what happened to me. You have, and, and that's a victim mentality. See, so here's the thing. You're either a victim or you're a victimizer. Sometimes it's at our hands that we victimize other people. Why? Hurt people hurt people. We don't intend to, but that's what happens to us. Guess why? Because we're not operating with the justice of God. That His justice says, you know what? How many times do I forgive? That's exactly what I'm going to do. And I don't forgive only a certain list of things. I'm going to wipe the slate clean just like God does. To my own peril. Just saw a news report about two teenage girls who were sold into slavery sex trade down in Mexico. They were abducted, ultimately raped 23 men put into a brothel and forced to, to perform. One escaped. Do You know what she says on the interview? I've come to the place of forgiving them. She didn't explain any of their actions. She didn't defend anything. She, just, she didn't defend herself. She didn't make herself self-righteous. Like, look at me, I'm willing to forgive them. She just, it was so matter of fact, I thought, wow, that's real forgiveness. She added nothing to it, just that I've come to the place of forgiving them and not holding them responsible for what happened. Wow. Folks, if you've been a victim and that's what part is your struggle with God is that you feel like he's disappointed you, he's failed you, he's not fair, he's not doing what is right... You may be guilty of crying out to him, the potter, and saying, why didn't you do this, and why didn't you do that, and why did you allow this? And that's where we just lay it down and say, hey, here's what I can do. I can entrust myself to a loving creator for doing what is right. How many of you ever prayed for someone or something and never saw any results out of it? Anybody? felt like justice wasn't done at all. You felt like you were forsaken, God forgot you, prayed for it, person died, person got sick, got sicker, Something happened that didn't that person didn't apparently deserve. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. It's a series on the greatness of God. Remind me what this song is. You alone can what is it? You alone can rescue. Yeah. You' alone can rescue. You alone can save. Would you stand and receive the justice of God, just being able to say, "I'm yours and you're mine, and that's good enough for me. No matter what? I'm yours, you're mine. That's good enough for me. No matter what. Keep my eyes on you, God. Let me, let me put that, that judgment, let me put that gavel back in your hands. Some of you might have to surrender, surrender that. Some of you are carrying around a little chisel and some of you are carrying around a sledgehammer. And you need to be able to say, you know, I've been just looking for somebody that I'm going to beat the living daylights out of because they deserve it. And you need to just decide that's not something that you ought to be traveling around with. Got a knife just ready to knife somebody. Slit their stinking throat. Oh yeah, in the church? You better believe it. Why? Because something's happened to you that you didn't deserve. It was wrong. And your anger with God, that's not going to accomplish anything. So the thing is, you want to put that down and leave it alone and never come back to it. Give it away. Destroy it would be best. Let me pray.